My name is Michael, and I am one of the pastors in the life of the church. There's the lights, baby. Um, and I'm part of the leadership team, and my, myself and my wife, we base at Tableview, so we won't often see you guys, but it is an absolute privilege to be here today, Century City. And I just want to say quickly, I, I love this church. I love this congregation, because you guys are just a culture of worship. It's incredible to worship together, and it's incredible to see what God has been doing in this community, uh, planting in this venue a year ago, and just seeing the life in this room, and seeing the people added, and the little ones even screaming on stage. It's amazing, because that's fellowship, that's community, and actually, that's the life of God. And so we trust God for more. We trust, actually, that He's going to continue to add. It's not because of a preacher on the stage, but it's actually because of you, the local church, reaching, extending your hands, and getting into the mess and the dirt of the world and showing them the love of Jesus Christ. But I just want to highlight two things before we kick off. Firstly, Marriage Mondays. For all the marrieds in the room, prioritize this moment. It is going to be incredible. It's a 30-minute moment on a Monday online on Facebook and YouTube. Prepare everything before. Get your load shedding candles done, sorted. Get the microphone for the baby. Do all those things so that you can be there in that moment. We want to invest in marriages. I promise you there's just going to be helpful tools to equip you for the next season. But also do life with one another because we all need support at some point in our marriages. So we want to invest in that area. And then just a special note. Next week, Sunday, we are going to be watching the rugby together in the PM services. Come on. There's going to be food on sale. We're going to watch the book go. And I want to say invite friends to this moment. Invite family. Invite friends. Join us in church in the morning. Gather together in the morning. We're going to have church. And then in the evening, we're going to be watching the rugby together. But as I said, my name is Michael. I am married to one wife, the beautiful Crystal Hiddenskog. And uh, we get to be part of the Tableview congregation, and we lead together part of the leadership team in the evening there. But we are in a series called We the Church. And if you haven't gone to watch any of the preachers, I want to implore you, go on our YouTube, go on our website. Everything will be there. But today I want to talk about radically ordinary hospitality radically ordinary hospitality and what it looks like for a church to be radically hospitable. And I want to say, um, growing up, I had an amazing father. And to give you a little bit of insight into my life, my dad was one of those dads where, you know, like I was a little bit embarrassed about him when I was growing up. He would often be the dad who would say something inappropriate, make a joke at the wrong moment, but he would always hang out with my friends, my mates. I tried to get him away, but I couldn't. He would always be there. But my dad taught me this value of radically ordinary hospitality, that it wasn't just because he was an extrovert or something that he uh, learned growing up. It was actually something deep inside of his heart that he would welcome anybody, no matter who they were, no matter what their demographics were, no matter what their race was, he would welcome them. I remember when I was around seven years old, we moved into a house in Molneton, and um, I, I just saw my dad hopping over the fence one day, and I was wondering where he was going, if he, uh, like, I kicked the ball over, and he was going, no, he wanted to go chat to the neighbor. He decided that he would invite himself over the neighbor's fence, and so much so that they became mates, and then they uh, made a door in the fence so that they could get access to one another. Often they would just sit and chat. The brine meat would be burnt, but it didn't matter. He wanted to make sure that he cultivated that friendship. He cultivated a culture of hospitality and fellowship. 
He worked as an estate manager at a complex here in Century City, and often his boss would phone him up and say, where are you? Because he would be walking around the entire complex just going to chat to people and finding out their names and their stories. When, he, um, when my parents moved a few years back into their new complex, my dad took it upon himself to knock on each neighbor's door and invite them to coffee, and sometimes just invite himself to coffee in that moment. They didn't want him there, he just invited himself. But what I realized growing up is that actually a culture of hospitality that just doesn't come. It doesn't come naturally. It's something that we have to cultivate and create. It's something that we have to extend ourselves towards. It's not just for the extroverts in the room. It's for the introverts as well. It's something that we have to practice. And the reason why we have to practice this is because Jesus practiced it. And so as the local church, we are called to cultivate and create a culture of hospitality. See, too often I believe that the church is on the periphery of society. We want to pray for people, we want to love people at a distance, but the local church isn't called to be in the periphery. We are called to be in the mess and the brokenness of people's lives to show them the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as the local church, we are called to cultivate and create. And so what are you cultivating and creating in your life, in your workplaces, in your schools, are you cultivating and creating a culture of hospitality? And we see this in the picture of the early church. Peter preaches this amazing sermon and 3,000 people get saved. And then we have believers of different nations and different tribes and tongues gathering together because they have encountered the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's, you see Gentiles and Jews mixing, people who would never mix on their own. But because they encountered Jesus, because they were welcomed into his family, they realized gathering together actually shows the world a picture of something greater. And so we're going to look at that scripture again, Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. We've been going through this in We the Church series, but it's going to be up on the screen behind me. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. Quickly, just want to pause there. All believers were together and had everything in common. They did not have everything in common. There were Jews and Gentiles mixing, and in those days, they hated one another. They did not want to be in the room, because in Judaism, if they fellowshiped with someone, they believed that they were fellowshipping under God's name and under God's banner. So they would not be seen with tax collectors, with sinners, with anyone else, because they did not want to fellowship with those people under God's name. And so it says they had everything in common, but actually they didn't. They didn't look the same. They didn't talk the same. They didn't believe in the same things, but they had everything in common because they believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah. And so as believers, we have everything in common together, even though we look the same, even though we come from different backgrounds and demographics and different races in this room, we have everything in common. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is Lord and Messiah and that he is the hope of the world. So if you are sitting here this morning, I want to challenge you. Will we create and cultivate a culture of hospitality in this place? I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to share three simple points this morning. Lord, I just pray that you will speak this morning, that people will know you, that you will speak over people's lives, that you will shake foundations today, Lord, that we will open up our hearts and our homes to others for your kingdom, Lord.
that you are a good God, you are a generous God, you are a radical God who welcomed us into your family, Lord. And I pray that we will stretch again in faith as a people, Lord. That people, as they come through these doors, will encounter your grace and your goodness. As this people go out into the world, that they will share your grace and your goodness wherever they go, Lord. And I pray that you anoint us in this time, that you pour out your spirit, and that this people will be a people of radically ordinary hospitality, known by you and you alone. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. My first point this morning is hospitality is biblical. And what hospitality means in the Bible is to welcome the stranger. And we see this in Acts 2 verse 42. This takes place on the back of Peter preaching this amazing sermon and 3,000 people get saved. And I don't know about you, but when I've read this passage of scripture a number of times, and I often think who I would be in the story. Maybe I'm Peter, and I preach an amazing sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. No pressure on you, but raise your hands later in the sermon. Amen. But I often think about myself in these stories. And often I can think of myself as the main character in these stories. We do this as human beings. We like to elevate ourselves a little bit and like to think that we are the hero of the stories. We've done this since Genesis. We want to elevate ourselves. But who would you be in the story? But if Jesus had to be here today and he had to be walking and alive in our midst, who would you be? Would you be one of the 72? Would you be one of, I think I would be one of the disciples or at least one of the 72, and given a few denials and betrayals, I would get to the 12. He would eventually pick me. Yeah, I rate he would pick me. But often we think that we are the main character of the story. And we have this bias as believers, thinking that we are the insiders because we believe in Jesus Christ. But actually, this couldn't be farther from the truth. As believers, we need to remind ourselves daily that he chose us. Rather than being good people who chose him, we are sinners chosen by grace. And so we weren't ever the insiders. We actually sitting in this room were the Gentiles. We were late to the party. There's a whole section of the Bible devoted to God's chosen people. And we were not it, people. We were not chosen. But because of Jesus' grace and his kindness, we are now insiders into his family. And we need to extend that same hospitality to others, welcoming others into Jesus' family wherever we go. We were not insiders, but we were chosen by grace. And so the whole story of the gospel is one of divine hospitality. It is one of divine hospitality. Jesus came to save and seek the lost. He came to welcome the stranger, us, into his family. And because of this grace, we have received an internal inheritance. We have received favor and we have received blessing as his children. As we dedicate the children on the stage, we are dedicating to them in the Lord and his ways and in community, and they are being adopted into God's family. We too have been adopted through Jesus Christ. And it says this in Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 12. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's us, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. May we never forget that we were once separate from Jesus Christ. 
We are one separate. The reason why we sing that song, Gratitude, is because he has given us everything. When we were still sinners, when we were still wretched, he chose you. He chose you before the creation of time. He chose you from the beginning. He chose you. Know that sitting here today. And so we have been shown divine hospitality by Christ. And therefore, we are called to show divine hospitality to others. Jesus often sat in people's homes and he sat with tax collectors and sinners and the poor and the downtrodden and the low of spirit. And he welcomed them to sit at his feast, to sit at his table. And so he said, come, all are welcome, all are welcome in my family. But the problem that we face in today's society is that we live in a time of division. We live in a time where we create boundaries. We live in a time where there are others. There's a time of division, whether it's in race, sexuality, economics, politics. We live in this culture of divide and boundaries and putting the others at a distance. And so we are conditioned to think of people in terms of us and them. Us and them. But when we look at the Bible, that's not the picture that we see. Jesus welcomed everyone into his family, and there was a new family created through Jesus Christ. And so if it is in the church, I promise you it will affect all we do as the church. We need hospitality in the church because it affects everything that we do as the church. We need prejudices and preferences to die in the church because it affects everything we do as the church. We need grace to flow in the church because it affects everything we do as the church. If we want to see grace flowing out there, it starts here. It starts here as believers of Jesus Christ and coming awake to that in our hearts and him burning something in our hearts to see the lost saved, to seek the lost, not just to pray for the lost on a Sunday, but actually to seek the lost. In order to seek someone, you actually have to go and find them. You have to get up. You have to get up out of your comfort zone. And it's going to cost us sometimes. But it's not about what it costs. It's about what it's worth. And so Jesus Christ is calling us to a greater standard. And so the very nature of the gospel is to welcome the stranger into this new family called the bride of Christ. This is biblical. It's a biblical standard. It's not something that we get to pick and choose as believers. It's a command by Jesus, and this is offensive to my own heart, and it challenges my own heart, because I, I, am, I like comfortability. I like my own comfort. I like having people in my home when I want to, and maybe choosing one day out of a month, and I don't want to have that person again because they eat all my food, or I've sat with that person a number of times, and they still don't listen to me, and you know, I'm not going to stretch out again because I have little kids, or there's pressures at work, we're called to be the local church. We are called to cultivate and create hospitality. We are called to welcome the stranger, no matter what it costs us, because it costs everything for Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what we are called to be. So are we welcoming people into our hearts and our homes? Are you welcoming people into your hearts and your homes? And so what does divine hospitality look like? Well, hospitality is offensive. The word hospitality comes from the Greek word philozenia, and it means to love the stranger. You cannot love someone at a distance. I cannot love my wife at a distance. I have to be with her. I have to cultivate something with her. And this, the same root of xenia is from xenophobia. It means to hate or have a fear of the stranger. 
And so there's two opposites that we see, a fear of the stranger or love the stranger. In our world, we see fear of the stranger. There's a us and them mentality wherever we go. But the Bible presents something different. It's a love of the stranger. And there's this, in Hebrews 13, verse 1 to 2, it says this, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Why does it say that in the Bible? Because so often we forget to do that. So often we go back to our comfort and we go back to small, sanitized, safe, suburban Christianity. We are called to extend our homes and our hearts to people for the grace of Jesus Christ, for his kingdom, so that people can encounter him. There's this amazing quote by a theologian, Henry Nowen, and says this, hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. See, this is what was done for us through the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. We were strangers to him. We were his enemies in our sin. But he included us in his family. And we were one separate, but we have been included now. And so we are no longer enemies. We are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We are called to cross categories and boundaries together as the church. Hospitality is not secondary to salvation. It is the primary aim of Jesus Christ and his mission to go out and make disciples. All nations, all tribes and tongues, all demographics, all races. And I want to tell you, the stranger is the person who does not look like you. Maybe they don't have the same tastes as you do. Or maybe they are distasteful in your eyes. Or maybe they don't share the same belief systems or the same values. It doesn't matter because Jesus Christ has come to save and seek the lost and all are welcome in his family. That doesn't mean that we look like the world and we look like them and start behaving like them. No, that means that we show everyone the good news of Jesus Christ and we love everyone and we get in the mess and the brokenness of people's lives. Why? For his kingdom and for his glory. That there are people in this room that you are the miracle for someone else. Across the table, you could be the miracle for someone else. Will you extend your heart and extend your home once again? I promise you, this is what the church is called to. Verse 46 of Acts 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The table is at the center point of the gospel. See, in the first century, a meal meant much more than what it does today. A meal in the first century was a boundary marker. It was about those who you included and those who you excluded. It was a way of showing that these were your people and this was your God and you would exclude anyone else. And so meals were boundary markers and it was a way to bring people together or to keep people apart. And so for a second, I just wanna, I want you to think, and this is the only time that a preacher will ask you to do this in this church, but think of the worst type of person. Think of the person you would not want to be seen with whatsoever. Think of the person who you think is at the moral lower end of the hierarchy. They are at the lowest part of the moral standard in society. Now think of that person. Now imagine Jesus 
or the disciples or the apostles had to rock up with that person to your home and ask you to open up your home and ask you to make a cup of coffee for that person and to have them in your home eating your food, sitting on your couch. Maybe they're dirty, maybe they're smelly, maybe they come with a whole bunch of values or belief systems that would offend you and offend everyone else around you. Now imagine that person. See, because in Judaism, fellowship at a table meant fellowship before God. The inclusion of Gentiles in this new group of believers, of sinners who would have been excluded from the gospel, is one of the greatest acts of redeeming love in the gospel. The inclusion of us sitting here today is one of the greatest acts of redeeming love. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you have received grace and love through Jesus Christ? That that is the thing that sustains us. That is the standard that we are called to. It's not just Christian principles that we get to read on a Sunday or sing those songs. It's something that we need to live out, a standard of grace and love. And so my question today is, who are you inviting to your table? As you've walked with Jesus Christ, as we become more like Jesus Christ, is your table getting larger or is it getting smaller? Do you have space for people at your table? And your table is in your heart and in your home. Do you have space for people in your heart to, to maybe shake some of your comfortabilities and shake some of your preconceptions and shake some of your prejudices and your preferences? Do you have space for people in your heart that don't look like you or don't act like you or talk like you? Do you have space for people in your homes? See, one of the things that we do as believers as we grow as Christians, I think sometimes we can get smaller over time. Sometimes because we've extended before and it's cost us something and people have offended us or let us down or disappointed us in the church, we stop extending love and grace to others. And our hearts and our homes maybe become a little bit smaller. Jesus is coming into the story and, the, and Peter is preaching and showing that actually we need to extend our hearts and our homes daily. Daily those were being saved. Daily they met together in homes and broke bread. Daily they sat together in the temple courts worshiping God. Daily. It's a daily thing that we have to do because our hearts always will go towards our own comfort and our own desires. Since the beginning of time, we wanted to make ourselves the kings of our lives and be like God. And we wanted to be in control of our lives. Our hearts will go towards that. But I want to say, do you just like Jesus or do you want to be like Jesus? Because if we just like Jesus, then we like the blessings of Jesus. We like the good things about Jesus. We like the grace and the feeling that we receive on a Sunday when we sing these worship songs. But if we want to be like Jesus, then we are called to welcome the stranger into our hearts and our homes. Are we just liking Jesus or are we being like Jesus? And so hospitality is offensive. It's offensive to me. It's offended me preaching this preach. It's offended where I've actually gone small in my life and where I've stopped extending my heart and my home to people. Where I've had quarrels with people and I need to go, is it because of a prejudice or a preference in my heart? Where people have let me down in this church. I've been more hurt in this church than any other, but I've received more healing and grace in this church than any other. And that's, we will find healing in the local church. 
I promise your miracle may be the person sitting next to you or behind you. They may be the person who can show you a different facet of Jesus Christ or can show you a little bit of love and grace and truth when you're in desperate need of it. See, hospitality is offensive. It is an act of warfare because it furthers his kingdom. Because when people encounters the grace of Jesus Christ and we, when you just show them love and kindness and peace and truth and joy, it shows them something different to what they can receive in the world. Hospitality is offensive. We are taking offense. We are taking ground for God's kingdom when we are hospitable and welcoming the stranger. Hospitality is offensive to our own prejudices and preferences. It's not about the me I see in you. It's about Jesus that I see in you. We like the me that we see in other people. We like the people that we have the same tastes of, that we have the same preferences with, and that we just do life together. But very quickly, it will become a holy huddle on a Sunday and not impacting the world. Hospitality is offensive to my own heart. It's offensive to how I grew up. It's offensive to what I believed. It's offensive to what I uh, was taught at university. It is offensive because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hospitality is called to be offensive. And thirdly, it looks different to the world. The world preaches tolerance. The gospel preaches unity. There's tolerance. We need to tolerate everyone at a distance, but the gospel says get close. Get close with one another. Get in the mess and the dirt of people's lives and watch the grace of Jesus Christ flow in that situation. We aren't called to love people at a distance. You can't love people at a distance with little T-Rex arms on a Sunday. Not gonna get close. It looks odd. It looks odd. The church is supposed to be the hope of the world. It's supposed to show the divine hospitality of Jesus Christ. It's supposed to be a sign and a wonder. We can't love people at a distance. That doesn't mean that we have to be like them. That doesn't mean that we have to, uh, if there's temptation and people are causing you to stumble, that you have to keep on going into that area. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is that our hearts will be open to people no matter who they are, what they look like, or what they believe that we will always extend to show the grace of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 says this, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Are we welcoming the stranger? Are we crossing the boundaries of society with love and grace daily? John verse 13, verse 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by the amazing cup of coffee that we pour on a Sunday, not by the worship sets, not by the bumper sticker of John 3 verse 16 on your car. None of these things will show people that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ but love. We are called to love. It's a command. It's not just an option. If we are disciples, or if we are followers of Jesus, becoming like him, then we need to be like Jesus and love one another. There's no exclusions, no boundary markers, no divides in that verse. We need to love one another. 1 Peter 4 verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love 
covers a multitude of sins. Amen. We love this verse. It's been in every Christian bookstore since the first century. It was in the Galatian bookstore as well. Amen. But let's see how it continues. Verse 9. Oh, wow. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you have been given a gift and you aren't serving others, then you aren't stewarding what God's given you. That's the challenge of this verse. We're not stewarding what God has given us. We have received grace. We have received hospitality from Jesus Christ. If we aren't extending it as the church, then we aren't stewarding what God has given us. And he says what he gives to those who give a little and they steward that well, you will give much. If we want peace, if we want joy in our hearts, in our lives, if we want to be free of anxiety, of fear, of shame, of all these things, we are called to steward the grace given to us through Jesus Christ. We are called to show that to others. And so hospitality is offensive. It's not based on a principle, but a transformation of the heart. We have to go a journey of allowing Jesus to get inside of us and to shake our foundations and to shake our prejudices and preferences so that we become more like him. Hospitality is offensive to self because it will cost us. It costs everything of Jesus on the cross. He had to sacrifice everything. He had to sacrifice his life. It's going to cost you of your time, your resources, your energy, having people in your homes, it's going to cost you. But I promise you it will be so much, uh, worth so much more in eternity in the kingdom of God. It's not about what it costs. It's about what it's worth, Life Changes Church. It's offensive to my heart because my heart becomes small outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's offensive to my comfort because I have to extend again and have another person in my heart and my home. And they may let me down they may disappoint me. They may get it wrong. But we are still called to show grace. Thirdly, hospitality is practiced. We need to recapture the practice of hospitality in the church. Rosaria Butterfield was a lesbian feminist living in New York City. And she experienced no hospitality growing up. She was an Italian immigrant. And she was a professor of critical theory at the, uh, the University of Syracuse. And she decided that she was going to go on this war path, that she believed that the religious right, those who called themselves Christians, were some of the most deplorable people in society, that they were some of the most unwelcoming people in society. And she had the statement that the LGBTQ community is more welcoming than the church. And so she went on this journey of writing this article and doing research to back up her claims. And so she wrote this piece about how the church is unwelcoming, how the church keeps people at a distance, and how the LGBTQ community is really the welcoming community in society. And so she got streams of letters in. On the one camp, there were people who were offended with her. How dare you say this? How dare you say this about the church? How dare you speak these things? You don't know what you're talking about. And she got letter upon letter upon letter of offensive speech. On the other hand, she got people affirming her beliefs. 
and saying she was right and saying she was onto something and saying how the church had let them down and failed them and failed to welcome them. But in the middle, she received another letter from a pastor at a small Presbyterian church. And what he did in that letter was maybe challenge a few of her beliefs, ask a few questions, but at the end of the letter, he invited her to dinner. And she couldn't get her head around it. She couldn't understand why this pastor, on the back of this article she had written, would invite her to dinner. But she went and she thought, okay, this would be good research for my paper. These people are not going to welcome me. Once they knew who I was, once they knew what I believed, once they knew my lifestyle, they surely could not welcome me and love me and care for me. But what this couple, Ken and Floyd, did is they welcomed her into their home. They turned off all their air cons because she believed in green living. They cooked every meal according to her dietary preferences. And they sat with her for two years and, not invite, and didn't invite her to church once. They just welcomed her into their home. And they invited her friends and her family and her partner into their home. And invited her to sit at the table. And extended a little bit of grace and love. And then she started to ask questions. And she started to question how could these people keep on inviting her and keep on showing her love when they disagreed with what she did, with who she was as a person. And then they got to tell her about Jesus Christ, about the good news of the gospel, that her identity doesn't rest in her sexuality, but in Him. And she gave her life to the Lord. And now she is a theologian. And now she's married to a pastor. And she wrote this book called Radically Ordinary Hospitality. And when I read some of these verses in the book, it shook me to the core because I realized that actually I can shrink back. But God calls me to a higher standard. And she writes this. Radically Ordinary Hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. The image of God reflected in the eyes of every human being. Those sitting across you, and they may have baggage, and they may have burdens, and they may have brokenness, but do you see the image of God in their eyes? Not their flaws, not their lack, not the difference, but the image of God. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but God's gift to use for the furtherance of His kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. The gospel comes with a house key. What does it look to live out radically ordinary hospitality? Are you extending a house key? Are you inviting people into your homes? Are you using your home and your hearts to steward the gift that Jesus Christ has given you? I can't decide that for you. We each have to look at our hearts. But I promise you, God is calling us to a greater standard as the church. We, the church, 
are called to be the hope of the world. We are called to shine the light of Jesus Christ wherever we go. We are called to extend our hearts and our homes to the stranger. We are called to love the stranger. Tonight, we're having a bring and share here in the PM congregation. I know you've attended church once on a Sunday. I'm gonna ask you, will you extend your hearts again and come tonight and bring something to share for maybe someone who can't afford any food and maybe sit with someone and find out their story and have a posture of grace and love and extend again in faith. We're creating these moments. Why? Because we believe in fellowship and we believe that we are supposed to be the church and we're supposed to welcome people in. Men's camp, men, you want to be there. It's a moment to do life with one another. It's a moment to do life with people that you normally wouldn't do life with. And if you can't afford it, come chat to me and we'll make a plan and we'll trust God together. But will you extend again? And yes, it may be uncomfortable. Maybe it will cost you something. Maybe you have to rush there from work. Will you extend again? Because you could be someone else's miracle or your miracle could be there waiting for you. Can we stand? I want to leave us with this quote. And when I read this, it shook me to the core. And I want you to ask this, ask yourself this about your life. The same woman, Rosalia Butterfield, has this amazing statement. She says this, I wondered if my life, me as Michael Eden Scott, if my life was the only evidence that Christ was alive, would anyone be convinced? If my life, every part of it, the secret parts, the parts no one sees, my workplace, my thought life, the way I treated my wife, if my life was the only evidence that Jesus Christ was alive, would anyone be convinced of that fact? It shook me to the core. And if this church was the only evidence that Jesus Christ was alive, would anyone be convinced? The church going out, not these four walls, not the brand of life changes, the people here today. Would anyone be convinced that Jesus Christ was alive? Can I ask you to just close your eyes in this moment? We were all separate from Christ once. We were included and adopted into his family through his grace. I feel like maybe some of us need to repent. Just repent of wrong thinking. Maybe we've retracted over the years of following Jesus. Because we have families or whatever it may be, because it's cost us. There's pressures in life. But we've stopped having people in our hearts and our homes, the strangers, people who we wouldn't normally do life with, people who maybe don't look like us. And that's you, and my hand will be stretched out with you. Won't you just raise your hand to your Savior in heaven? If you're saying, I want to live a life of radically ordinary hospitality, because of the grace and love I received by Jesus Christ, why don't you just raise your hand to Him right now? 
us raising our hand to Him is a posture of surrender and it's a way to receive everything from Him. And so Jesus, as your people here today, I pray that this would shake us. I pray that we will be shaped and transformed by your word, not the passion of a preacher, but the word of Jesus Christ, that you will shake our hearts, you will shake our preconceptions and our minds and our thoughts, that we will continue to extend grace and love daily, that daily this will be something that we choose. That daily, because we receive the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, we will decide to extend that to others. That we, you will fill us so that we can overflow. That we will be the hope and a sign and a wonder to this world because they are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that faith will begin to rise in this room because you have given us everything. I pray that we steward that gift and we go out telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. That our hearts will be one of worship and surrender and praise unto you because of everything that we received. That this people will go out and the world will be changed. The world will never be the same again because we got the good news of the gospel burning inside of our hearts. Will you burn away every prejudice? Will you burn away every preference? Will you burn away every sign of smallness and exclusivity? And will we open up our hearts again to you and your word and your grace?